She's not only smart and good looking and all that stuff. Y'all can see why she married me, can't you? <laughs> Y'all don't laugh. That's not funny. <laughs> you know, if you've got your Bibles, lift them up this morning and repeat after me. Say, this is my Bible. Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's word. It's his truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. It's good to see some of our college students back. I saw Chloe and Brianna. Who else is here? Oh, we've got just college students galore. They heard we were having food, so they came home. We're so thankful you guys are here. I hope you are having fun at school, but we miss you all and proud of you, doing great things. Uh, also today, uh, Preston Wiles, as many of you know, Preston was on the state winning tournament fishing team, and they're actually down in Louisiana for a regional tournament today, and really proud of him down there, so you can be praying for him. And also yesterday, the Highland Band went off and had uh, in West Memphis and won first place over at the West Memphis Band Contest, so we're really proud of the kids over there. Good job. Always great to see our kids excelling and doing well. I want to talk to you today for a few minutes about grace. I want to talk about grace. I love studying grace. We're going to be studying this week, next week. We'll see how much further it goes beyond that. But we're going to approach grace a little differently. We all know about grace. We all sing the song Amazing Grace. But if I were to sit down with you and say, hey, define for me what you think grace is, you're probably going to have a hard time doing it. You're probably going to have a hard time explaining it all out. What, what does it mean? I mean, what does grace defined really mean? I'm going to tell you, the, the word grace, at least in the, the series of scripture that we're going to read, is defined as the word hesed. It's spelled C-H-E-S-E-D. It's an ancient Hebrew word, hesed. 2 Samuel 9.1 out of the New Living Translation says this, One day David, this is King David, Asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness or grace has said for Jonathan's sake. And you know, we sing about grace, we talk about grace, we say grace over dinner. There's all these ways that we throw grace into our everyday lives. But in this stance, in this situation, the word has said is something that translators who have tried to translate this word out of Hebrew into English have run into a brick wall. They have an extremely difficult time of trying to define what God's grace really is. But let me give you the definition, the overall definition of hesed. It means God's steadfast and unfailing love for his covenant or chosen people. I'm going to read it again. God's steadfast and unfailing love for his covenant or chosen people. But quite literally, translators who have taken the Old and New Testament, as they've taken the Old Testament, they can't find a word. Grace is the closest they can come to it. Literally, guys, literally, God's grace is beyond our ability to define in human terms. We can't grasp how good God's grace is. Think about that for a second. That's why we call it amazing grace. The best definition in the English language of God's has said, God's grace, is loving kindness. 
But I'll be honest with you, it pales in comparison to what it actually really means. But let me tell you some of the benefits of God's grace in our lives. God's grace changes our status from being unwanted to being wanted. God's grace changes our status from being worthless to being priceless. God's grace turns us from his enemy to his friend. And my favorite, God's grace takes us from being an outcast to being adopted into his family. Grace is a demonstration and a commitment that is undeserved, it's unearned, and it's unrepayable. The recipient of grace, those of us that have received God's grace, we receive it not because we deserve it and not because we've earned it by being so good. There's absolutely no way we can do those things. And here's another biggie. You can't repay God's grace. You can't say, God, thank you for what you've done. Here, I'm going to pay you back for God's grace. It is completely one-sided. God's grace is one-sided. So as I was thinking through what God's grace really is, I could try to explain these definitions all day long to you, but I want to show you out of the Scripture a picture of God's amazing grace. And we're actually going to look to the Old Testament today to understand God's amazing grace. If you've got your Bibles, you can look at your notes or it'll be on the screen. We're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. One day... King David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king said? Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. And the king asked and said, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive, but he's crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Machir, the son of Amel. So there is this son of Jonathan, part of Saul's family, that's still alive, and he's staying in this land called Lodabar. But it's interesting that this guy Ziba, this servant, said, yeah, there's one of them left alive, but he's crippled. Yeah, there's one alive, but, but he's crippled. I think it's interesting that he adds that fact in there. So let's go back and look and see why is Mephibosheth, who's his name, how, why is he crippled? 2 Samuel 4 verse 4 says this, Now Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So let me paint you a picture of what's going on here. Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son. Jonathan is the son of King Saul, who at this time was the king over Israel. So Jonathan was a prince. And in those days, back in these ancient Bible days and in the, just around the world in the kingdom, whenever a kingdom would change in leadership, many times what would happen is everyone who was a part of the royal family or close to them would be killed. And what happened is King Saul and Jonathan were in a battle, and in this battle they were both killed. And so word came back to Jerusalem that they'd been killed in battle. And all these people knew that Jonathan, or excuse me, David had been anointed king. So what happened is there was panic. These people are freaking out because they know that the way it works is they're all going to be killed. 
And so you can imagine the mayhem and, and the terror that was going on in the kingdom. And they were running around trying to rush to escape David coming back to Jerusalem. And in the course of this, here is Mephibosheth, five-year-old Mephibosheth. And his nurse runs in to grab him. And as they're escaping, and scholars are, are, have argued different ways of what they think happened, they don't know if Mephibosheth fell down, if his nurse fell on him. Some scholars feel like maybe they put him in a cart. And in the rush and the mayhem, the cart turned over. But regardless of how it happened, this little five-year-old boy, his legs and his feet were broken. And because they're trying to escape this coup, what they think is going to be this bloody transition in the ownership of the kingdom, she can't really get a doctor to come see him because they're going to know where they are, because they've got to escape to where nobody's going to find them. And so they flee Jerusalem and run off to this place called Lodabar. And over the years, as Mephibosheth begins to heal, he remains crippled because of this accident that happens. 1 Samuel 20, verse 14 through 16 says this, and I want you to understand because there was a covenant between Jonathan and David. Some of you may have been familiar with this, but Jonathan and David, Jonathan was the prince. David was, uh, he had married into Saul's family, but David was just one of the favored sons. Remember, he killed Goliath and was brought into the royal household. And, And David and Jonathan, the Bible tells us, grew very, very close. They were like brothers. And Jonathan recognized that David had been anointed the next king. And so Jonathan, even though he was next in line to become king, knew that David was eventually going to take over. And so they make a covenant together. And I want to read that covenant to you. Jonathan said, if I am still alive when you become king, will you not show me the loving kindness, the hesed, of the Lord? That I may not die. You shall not cut off your loving kindness, has said, from my house forever. That means not only for Jonathan, but also from his family. Not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. So here's where we are. David has now been king for 15 years. And during that that time of transition, there's battles and different things that go on. And so he's really focused on unifying the kingdom. And it takes him about 15 years to do that. And at the end of this 15 years, he's able to actually sit down and take a breather and kind of look at what's gone on. And, And God had given him victory after victory. And David was finally becoming king. And as you remember, last week we talked about David being in the cave of Adullam. And it was after that period of time, David and his mighty men really began to understand who they were and who God was. And God began to change those men. Well, that's these guys now that are helping David establish the kingdom. And so David sits back. I can see David sitting back on his throne. And he thinks about his friend Jonathan. And he says those words. I wish there was somebody in Saul's family, one of Jonathan's descendants, that I could show Hesed, this grace, this loving kindness to So imagine in your mind, this is the way I think. How many of you grew up that if ever a kid got lost, they put their picture on a milk carton? You ever seen that before? Come on now. We're aging ourselves, but you know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all sold. Y'all used to ride it on cows, but no, we're not going that far back. 
But anyway, imagine with you, if you will, this is the way I picture things. David, David's sitting here thinking about this. He said, you know what, I've got to search the country to see if I can find a descendant of Saul's family. And so he puts the word out. I mean, people's faces are on milk cartons. They're advertising it everywhere. They're trying to find somebody because David wants to show, David wants to show God's amazing grace to And then word comes back. There may be a descendant somewhere. And so they call this guy Zeba. Somebody says, well, I think Zeba knows where one of them might be. So David calls in Zeba, and Zeba goes, oh, yeah. Now, why didn't he come out before and say something? Different story. But anyway, he goes, yeah. He goes, there's a descendant, one of Jonathan's son. You can imagine when David heard this how excited he must have been to find out that not only is there a descendant of Saul's family, but Jonathan's son, Jonathan, his blood brother, this covenant relationship, one of his sons is alive. Now, remember, it's been 15 years, and Mephibosheth was five at the time this happened, so he's 20 years old. And then he says, yeah, he's, he's staying over at this guy's house in the town of Lodabar. Now, I've studied the name of the town Lodabar, and here's what Lodabar translated means. It means land of no pasture. Land of no pasture. How many of y'all have any agriculture in you right now? Come on, let me see your hand. Do you want to have your farm on the land of no pasture? In other words, this is not the place that's booming, okay? This is the armpit of Israel. I'm trying to break it down for you so you guys understand what I'm This is not a place you want to be in. This is a place you want to be from, right? Anybody had a place like that? You're, you're from somewhere, but you don't live there anymore. <laughs> Well, that's where this is at. This is Lodabar. But there's another translation of the name Lodabar. Get this. I thought this was amazing. It also means lack of enlightenment or stupidity. So if you lived in Lodabar, you lived in nowhere land, Stupidville. That's what it means. I mean, there's no pasture, and if you're an agricultural society, you don't want to be there. And they also said there's no enlightenment. These people are stupid. If you lived in Lodabar, you were considered to live in Stupidville. So that's where Mephibosheth has grown up. But unlike other children who grow up, Mephibosheth was a prince. And I want you to imagine at one time, five years old, your world, you go from being the prince to being an outlaw in one day. And that in of itself is horrible. But imagine now you are permanently crippled because of David. And don't you think this nurse that was hiding him, and I'm sure she had good intentions. She was just trying to protect him. But can she imagine every day, don't go outside, somebody might see you. You can't go to school, somebody's going to figure out who you are. We've got to keep you inside, Lodabar where nobody knows where you are, where David can't come kill you because if he finds out you're alive, he's going to kill you like everybody else. He's the last descendant. Can you imagine living every day in fear, knowing that the king was looking for you? And now there's these milk cartons and billboards up on the wall that are looking for you. So now there's more fear in his life. He lives in constant fear. And then one day his fears realized. Because I can imagine here come a group of horsemen. And they knock on the door. Mephibosheth home? Come with us. And he knows he's going to die. 
He just knows in his heart they're going to find him and they're going to kill him. And so they take him and they take him to the royal palace. And they don't take him to a side room. They bring him out in a big room where everybody's there. Benaiah, the whole nine yards, all these people we've been studying about. There's this huge crowd gathered in this room. And they bring this poor little crippled boy before the king. And I'm sure that 99.9% of the people that were there fully expected David to kill him. Let's read what happens. Turn to your Bibles or look up on the screens. 2 Samuel 9, 6 through 11. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. You know, Mephibosheth is crippled. So I'm sure falling is something he's really good at. And I want you to imagine, here he comes in as a prisoner, and there's David up on his throne, and this crowd of people, and the crowd parts, and there's this little crippled man walking in on his crutches. And he gets up close to David and falls on his face before him. What a pitiful sight that must have looked like. And David said to him, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth said, here is your servant. And David said to him these words, do not fear. <laughs> I didn't even think about this first service. He said the words that this kid lived with every single day. Fear. He lives in fear. Fear is what he does for a living. And David says, do not fear. For I will surely show kindness, has said to you, for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul. And you shall eat at my table regularly. And again, Mephibosheth prostrated himself and said, What is your servant? Who am I that you would consider such a dead dog like me? <laughs> that tells you how he sees himself, doesn't he? Why would you even care to show any regard to such a dead, worthless dog like me? You know, there's not too many things in life that are more worthless than a dead dog. But that's how he sees himself. And can you imagine David looking down at this young man and knowing the realization comes on his face. He thinks I'm going to kill him. See, he doesn't understand that I have a covenant relationship with he and his, his father Jonathan was my best friend. And I'm here to bless him, but he's lived in constant fear his whole life because of me. Thinking that I'm going to bring judgment on him. But all I want to do is show him grace and mercy. And he says, I'm going to restore to you all that your grandfather Saul had. Saul was the king. You can imagine what that was. And he restores all that. But he even takes it a step further. And he says, guess what? And I'm going to have, make a place for you in my kingdom. Let's go on. I want to read some more of this. Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba. You remember Ziba. And said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons... 
and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in, him, bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my Lord commands, the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. And listen to this last statement. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. <laughs> See, Mephibosheth didn't know there was a covenant. He didn't realize this amazing grace that was available to him. So he stayed hidden from David who wanted a blessing. And if this is not a picture of our relationship with God before we come to know him, I don't know a better one. You know, if you look back in the Old Testament, you go all the way back to the garden. And there's God in the garden and Adam and Eve have sinned and now they're running away from God. And here God is coming into the garden and saying, hey, where are you? He's looking for us. And Jesus brings it forward into the New Testament and tells the story of the hundred sheep and the one that wanders away. And he says the good shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Now I know a little bit about livestock. If I've got an animal that wants to get out all the time and I've got a hundred and I've got one that wants to be ornery, guess what? He's coyote bait. Because I can handle a 99%. That's still an A. But that's not the way God works. That's not the way God works. He leaves the 99 to seek the one, to show the one has said loving kindness and grace. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. So imagine, David's having dinner. And in walk all of his children. And last but not least, Mephibosheth comes in on his crutches and sits down at that table and partakes of the grace and mercy that God has for him. But you know what? Many of us are like Mephibosheth. We think God's waiting to kill us. We think if we go off the Lodabar and we just keep a low profile, maybe God won't figure out where we are. Because in our minds, we think he's waiting to punish us. Some of us grew up in denominations where God was waiting behind every tree. And as soon as we did something wrong, he was going to bonk us on the head. Anybody else? And so we had this idea that God was all about judgment. And I want you to understand clearly today, God is a God of justice. Don't get that wrong. But he is a God of mercy who loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us, to take our place, to pay our penalty, to pay for your sin. And I want you to understand something. That is beyond my comprehension. That is hard to understand his amazing grace. But it's that amazing. He loves you so much and you can't pay it back. You just have to receive it. Maybe some of you today feel like Mephibosheth. You say, I'm a dead dog, man. Why would God want me? Let me tell you something. God is able to take the mess that your life might be and turn it into something absolutely amazing. And you go, why, Pastor? Because that's what he does. That's what he does. Because it's not about you, guys. It's about him. 
but it is about you and the fact that he loves you that much. And don't, don't try to feel like you can pay back this grace that, well, if I act good enough or if I serve in the church or if I do this, that, or other thing, God will like me more. Maybe I can earn my way back into my relationship with God. Maybe I can be good enough so that I just squeak into heaven. How many of you ever felt that way? Come on, be honest. Some of you aren't raising your hand. I know that's how you feel. <laughs> maybe, if I just do one more, maybe if I just do more good things than bad things. Really? Doesn't work that way. Jesus hanging on a cross, thieves beside him. One of those thieves said, Jesus, would you take me into paradise today? Would you forgive me? Would you receive me? And in that moment, he's forgiven. And Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Was it because he'd earned it? He was paying for his crime, which he deserved. And yet even on that cross, Jesus accepted him and some of you need to stop trying so hard to get into God's good grace and realize that he loves you on your worst day as much as he loves you on your best day he just loves you he just loves you You say pastor how do you know that I want to read you just a couple more scripture out of many that prove this but just a couple more Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It's in your notes or up on the screen. Look, see what a great love the Father has lavished upon us. He's lavished it. It's kind of like when I eat some of Wardell Michelle's Cajun food. I eat, it's good right there. You know, whenever she gives me a bowl of gumbo, she doesn't just put a little bit in there. She lavishes it in that bowl. And that's what the Bible tells us. That God lavishes his love on us. He lavishes his love on us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Listen to this. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, exclamation mark. The reason the world does not know us is that it does not know him. Ephesians 2, 6 through 9 says this. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his what? Grace. (laughs) Think about that. He takes us up in the heavenly realms with Jesus that in the coming ages this grace is going to unfold to us because it's so amazing I can't even explain it to you. Have you, oh, I like this. Have any of y'all ever, uh, how many of y'all like dessert? Come on, be honest with me. Let me see your hand right now. Have any of you ever been somewhere and, and they talk about a dessert that's supposed to be at the, I mean, I went to this restaurant this week or the other week and they had sawdust pie, which on the surface sounds really bad. But it's really, really good. It was Miss Barb Jones' recipe. They had it over one of the restaurants in town. And, and I went in there and they said, oh, Pastor, you've got to try sawdust pie. And I'm like, okay. Well, I'll be picking wood out of my teeth, but it's all good. No, 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 it wasn't like that. I mean, it was good. It was better than I could have imagined. And I want you to think for a moment how good God is and how much he loves you. And then I want you to realize that it's better than you could have ever imagined. Better 
than you could have ever imagined. Wow. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And listen to this. It is not from yourselves. You can't do it. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. It's a gift. This grace that God has for us is a gift, but we have to receive it. Amen? John 1.17 says this, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus. I want to say one thing about gifts, and then we're going to close. If someone gives you a gift... It's wrapped. Let's say it's wrapped in a beautiful wrapping, got a big old bow on it. It's got your name on it. And someone hands said, This is a gift. Just I just wanted to get you a gift. Would you take that gift and just look at it? The box. I mean, would you just, oh, this wrapping, oh, this wrapping is so amazing. Someone spent so much time doing this. I mean, look at this paper, look at this bow. I don't want to tear up the bow. What are you going to do? You're going to rip that bad boy open, aren't you? Because you want to see what's on the inside. But that's what a lot of us do with the mercy and the grace that God gives us. Salvation. We just look at it, but we never receive it. We never open it. We just sit, up, sit it up on the mantle somewhere. Oh, yeah, I know God's grace is out there. I know he loves me, but, you know, God, you don't know what I've done. I don't deserve your grace. God, you don't know what I said. Let me, let me give you a newsflash. He knows everything you've said and everything you've done, and he loves you anyway. The worst sinner, the greatest saint, sin is sin, and he loves us anyway. We're going to close, and we're going to sing a song. And as we do that, I really want you to take a few moments, look at the lyrics, sing along if you want to. But I want you to think of this song in light of the fact it's Mephibosheth singing. I want you to think about that. And I want you to examine your own heart in these moments. And, and I want some of you that maybe have been your whole life or maybe even recently, grace is out there, but you've not received it. You've not received it. Well, today is your day to receive this amazing grace that he's given us. Amen. It seems like well, all I could see was a struggle. Haunted by ghosts that lived in my past Bound up in shackles of all my failures just how long is this gonna last? 
But then you look at this prisoner and say to me, son, stop fighting a fight that's already been won. Because I am redeemed and you set me free. So I'll, I'll shake off these heavy chains and wipe away every stain. Cause I'm not who I used to be. Cause I am redeemed. Yeah. And all my life I have been called unworthy Named by the voice of my shame and regret But when I hear you whisper Child, lift up your head Well, I remember, oh God you're not done with me yet Cause I am redeemed yeah, yeah, yeah. You set me free So I'll, I'll shake off these heavy chains And wipe away every stain Cause I'm not who I used to be because, well, I don't have to be the old man inside of me. Because his day is long, dead and gone. Because, well, I've got a new name, a new life. I'm not the same and a hope that will carry me home. Because I am redeemed. set me free so I'll, I'll shake off these heavy chains wipe away every stake I'm not who I used to be cause I am Shake off these heavy chains and wipe away every stain. Cause I'm not who I used to be. Because I'm not who I used to be. Jesus, I'm not who I used to be. just to think for a moment.
that God loves you. Right where you are, perfectly, right where you are. But you have to receive that gift. So in the holiness of this moment, I want you to be honest with yourself and I want you to be honest with God. Let's all stay in an attitude of prayer for just a moment. I want you to really look at your heart and say, have I received that gift? Have I received Jesus? And if you're here today in this moment and you realize that you have not done that, but but today is your day to do that. Maybe like many people, you've got all kinds of excuses. I'm not ready or I'm not good enough or fill in the blank. But it's not about that. It's about the truth. So if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior today. I need to do that. Just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. Or maybe you're here today and you're a Christian, but you feel like you've walked away from God. You've done some things. You say, I know better, and the devil's got you off in Lodabar. You've locked yourself away. Maybe you're, you're trying to cover up your sin with different things to make yourself feel better, but you know it's not working. But you want to get things right with God. I want you to understand he will not cast you aside. He loves you. If that's you today, you say, Pastor, I want to recommit my life to the Lord. That's what I want to do today. I want to recommit my life. Just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. Amen. 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 That's what I want to do this morning. I want all of us to take your hands. I want you to put your hands on your chest this morning. This is a holy thing. You say, well, Pastor, what are we doing? This is, I just want you to realize right now where you are, God knows what you're dealing with right where you are. And if that's you today, we're all going to pray this together. I want all of us to pray together. People lifting their hands up today. We're all going to pray this together. Just pray this after me. And if you mean it, that's what's important. Lord Jesus, I know you love me, but you know me. I've tried and I've failed, but I don't want to be that way anymore. So I'm asking you today, forgive me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I need you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, dying for me, and rising again. Amen. If you prayed that this morning and you meant it, God knows that. And he's touched you right where you are. You just have to receive that and walk in it. Amen. Let's grab your neighbor's hand this morning. We're going to pray. I'm going to dismiss you. Lord, I just thank you for this time that we can come into your presence and begin to understand how much you really love us, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that as we leave this place, not only will we carry your grace inside of us, but, Father, we would extend your grace to other people. That, Lord, we would love those around us like you love us. And that, Father, we would unconditionally love people. And then we would point them to the cross. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray right now for those that are leaving and going to go eat. Lord, bless this food. And we thank you for it. 
Lord, for those that are leaving today to go home or go to restaurants or go see family, Lord, I pray that your presence and your peace would be with them and that you would guide them in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. I believe some of you have been set free today from some things, amen. Well, here's what I want you to do. Back in the fellowship hall is where the kids are having food. So go back there and you get to participate in what the kids have going on. That's a donation meal. Also, Miss Ruth's class over here in the side, over on my left, your right, they're having a Bible study class and they've got free food in there too. So if you leave hungry today, that's on you. I can't do anything about it. But I encourage you to go to the Bible study or go back to the classroom in the back. God bless you as you go.